What up, artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity. And, you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. So Dion Walcott is the entrepreneur behind Marked, a dynamic custom show, a custom shoe design competition. Sorry. Among other things, think about uh, what uh, my episode five guest Kemi Smith does, but uh, loud music, an MC, crowd of art fans excited to see what, like, who's going to throw down the dopest shoe design and doing it on the fly. That's, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, I attended one of the events in Toronto a few years back, and it was incredible. Since then, I've seen Dion take his passion for sneakers even further. I see him, you know, taking pictures of being in meetings with some some important-looking people. So I'm like, okay, this guy is up to something. And uh, I, I wanted to know more about that. So, Dion, welcome to Art Pays Me. Uh, Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes. So before we get into it, where did you grow up, man? Uh, I grew up in Toronto, downtown Toronto, in, in one of our neighborhoods called Parkdale. It's in the inner city of the, the inner city of Toronto. Uh, yeah, just me and my mother. Originally, though, the background is from Trinidad. Mother and father from Trinidad and Tobago, but I'm fully Canadian. <laughs> hey, okay. Yeah, I know some Walcott. So, like, I'm being from the islands, I kind of figured it was some kind of island. Connection. Yeah, there's, there's a couple. I think there's a, a cricketer that's pretty famous that has the last name Walcott, um, but he's not related to me, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I know it is a pretty popular name across the Caribbean. Yeah. So what kind of stuff were you into as a kid? I was more sports focused, to be honest. Like basketball was my thing. Um, that was my life pretty much from like 13 till 30. Um <laughs> Like I played basketball, kept me out of trouble. I was more into sports as a young person through teenage years to like young adult. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was predominantly basketball was my life before the whole slogan of like basketball is life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you played for Dow, Dalhousie University, right? Yeah, so I played for Dow in Nova Scotia. Um, I played at Central Tech, sorry, Central Commerce in St. Pat's in Toronto. And then after Dell, I played like, you know, these little semi-pro leagues around the city. And then I decided to just hang it up because, you know, you, you have other priorities in your life. Mm-hmm. All right. What position did you play? Um, I played one, two, point guard and shooting guard when I was in university. And in high school, I feel like you don't play any position. You just do whatever the coach says. <laughs> um, so you just run around and shoot the ball. But in university, I got a little bit more focused in. It was like a one-two position that I played. Okay. So, but actually, what did you study at, at, when you went to university? Uh, philosophy, sociology. The interesting part about it was when I went to school, um, and I think a lot of people who are in sports, when you go to school, you either go for one or two reasons. You go to play sports or you're going to school to actually get education. Unfortunately, I was the one that was just going to play sports. Mm-hmm. So I looked at, like, the school curriculum and tried to figure out what was the easiest course that I could take. And what I thought was interesting about why I took sociology and philosophy, a lot of the case studies that I was reading when I started taking stuff in sociology specifically resembled 
um, the area that I lived in when I was young. So it became second nature to me. So I know I could breeze through the classes without really actually putting much of an effort. Um, so, and then it's just about learning the principles and the terms, but the actual stuff that they were trying to teach us, I had seen that every single day growing up. So it was real interesting for me to just almost look at it like a cheat code where like I could get through university real easy because the stuff that I'm, I'm trying to learn, I actually lived through this as a young man. Yeah. So with that, I actually, I'm glad. So in my previous podcast, we had a, a show kind of dedicated to this. One of my co-hosts was a, an athlete as well. And we talked about this phenomenon of coming to university to play ball. So I always wondered, did you have that mentality because you were like intending to go professional afterwards or just, you just weren't even thinking that far ahead. You're just like, I'm just going to play ball. I mean, I feel like a couple different reasons. One, you know, um, the area that I grew up in, like for me to leave Toronto to go away to school, the people that I was around and the people that I looked up to, they would celebrate basketball. They wouldn't necessarily celebrate education. Mm. So um, the motivating factor for me to get out of the area and go to school was basketball driven because of the people that were around me. Um, so for me, it was more just like the mentors and my role models that I had to look up to. Education wasn't something that they celebrated. Got you. So it wasn't something that I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to go to Dalhousie and become a doctor. I'm going to go back home and everyone's going to love me. Mm. It was more like, yo, I'm the dude. I'm going to go play basketball. I'm going to go home and everyone's going to love me because I played basketball. Right. Um, and then you get exposed to something completely different. Like once you go to university, and you don't really understand what you're doing at the time until you're exposed to it. And then you realize like, oh, Dalhousie is an actual educational institution. Right. It's not a gym. <laughs> it's not like, but I'm being serious because like at 19, 20, when all you do is think about basketball and coach is like, did you go to, to class today? You're like, yeah, that, that's my, that's the second thought. Mm. I want to get in the gym so bad. I ain't really worried about sociology class that has thousand people in it and I can't hear a thing. I'm just like, what time is the gym open? So I think it was real interesting just looking at that, looking back at that part of my life. Huh. That's, yeah, that's interesting, man, for, for sure. So I'm going to ask you a tricky question. So would you say in terms of where you're, you ended up going in life, mm -hmm. university, your challenging upbringing, or sports, which, right. which of those would you say helped you the most in where um, you are today? I don't even think you could really prioritize which one helps the most. Okay. I think all three of them work interchangeably and in like almost like a family of skills. Um, and they work in sequence where it's like the young person that I was from, you know, the age of like 13 to 20, growing up in that neighborhood, playing against people who that's all they do is play basketball and they take it so serious. Mm. That gives you the grit to like, you know, I call it like eating tuna every day. So it's like, if you understand how hard it could be having nothing, then you actually move on to a space where you have access. You always have um, your background in knowing what zero looks like. So yeah. I credit where I grew up to be like, you know what? I know what playing in, in a gym with a thousand people who are hungry 
and another neighborhood coming in and it gets real thick in there. Then you put me in Dalhousie where it's like, you mean people are clapping? Like, this is interesting. Like we're used to playing in the gym. We're like, if you lose, it's going to be a long walk home. Right. Um, and then when you go to university, you know, that's why I say in sequence, the next level of it is like, you come in as one person and then playing sports and trying to understand how to pass your classes and learn, you end up being disciplined in a whole different way. But one thing leads to another. Then when you finish university and you're, I'm doing what I'm doing now, everything kind of worked together in a very weird, organic way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is interesting. Again, like, man, you're... So again, I, I kind of knew you in passing when I was in school. We, we were in school kind of at the same time. Right. And I just kind of remember you, but I can't remember how I knew you. My brother played uh, basketball for St. Mary's. So I, I just was kind of around that situation, I guess. Right. Um, and uh, then I saw you resurface years later and you're like really deep into this creative area. Right. Where, where did that come from? Like, were you always creative on some level? I mean, it's hard to say. Like, it, what, what was interesting to me was, like, um, I got, I was always into sneakers. Like, even if you talk to my teammates at Dow High School, like, that was my thing. Like, I always had different types of sneakers on. Yeah. Then when I started playing with it and, you know, I developed a mentorship program around sneakers for in Toronto, showcasing, um, like, different sneakers, but showing people how you could look at sneaker culture from a different angle. It wasn't until I got opened up to like the customization side of like the sneaker culture and the people that I was meeting, they resembled, to me, they resembled athletes. Mm. Right. And I was like, Oh, like I, I, I know this super well, like, and I'm wondering why I know it super well and why I say they resemble athletes because like, they were highly skilled, but they had no team to play on. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, like, they were super skilled. Like, someone like yourself, you're dope. You can do all these things. But then you'd be like, well, D, I don't know where, where, where can I put my artwork? Mm. And I'd be like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you don't know where to put your artwork? And then, to me, everything started coming together where I was like, oh, I'm creative in my mind. That's not necessarily because I'm so creative, just because I know how to connect dots. Yeah. A different type of creativity. But then the more I started being around creative people, the more I started applying athletic principles to what they do. Right. So I'd be like, oh, so you're real good, but like you sleep in till like one in the afternoon, but the client needs it at nine, <laughs> right? Like that's a basketball like thing. Like, so man, I can't make practice. Why can we practice at one? It's like, no, no, no. Like that's not the way the world works, <laughs> but you want to make it professionally. That's your goal. But like you actually are doing it like you're doing it freelance. Then all of a sudden, like, you start building little teams of people who are creative. And then I start picking up like what create, how creative mind works. And then it almost spills over into my mind. And next thing you know, I become this Dion 2.0 that I am now. <laughs> Man, I love that. So instead of like us, you know, sleeping in and just saying, yo, I'm gonna work when the creativity hits me, get up, Pretend this is like your two-a-day workout. It's 6 a.m., put in some reps, whether that's drawing, that's something else. Right. But like, keep working and, and, and developing and putting it and, and making some output. 
or or you know like not to harbor on the the waking up early part but like understand what your spot is so it's like I find like a lot of creatives, the biggest thing is like, you could be the most creative person, but like, you're not good at business. Mm -hmm. But you think you are, right? That's where it becomes a sport where it's yeah. like, okay, so if you want to sleep until one, then you need to find someone who doesn't sleep until one. Got you. Right? So you continue to being the creative superstar you are and hire Dwayne to have that meeting. So when you get hit with inspiration, at least the rest of the world that works nine to seven, he can handle that. Gotcha. Right? And then that becomes a team. Yes. And once it becomes a team, it, now you're playing a sport. Right? Because right. it's like the point guard does this, the scorer does that, the coach does that, and so on and so on. We, yeah, we're all playing our position. We're all playing our position. Now, that's why I said it's not about necessarily, well, you have to wake up early because a lot of artists, like, they work through the night. Mm. And, you know, they'll be like, man, creativity, I just can't work in the normal hours. Like, I start at midnight and I work till six in the morning, mm -hmm. which is fine. But if you're running a business that way, the rest of the world, unfortunately, starts at, wakes up at eight o'clock. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, that's cool. But, like, who's going to handle your shit um, while the rest of the world's actually trying to get shit done? Yeah. Right? Like, that's cool. Like, you got to put... And that's a lot of the times when I work with creatives, that's the, the starting point where I'm like, okay, so what's... What does your cre creativity actually look like? So it's like, oh, do you know what, man? Like, I, I'm terrible throughout the day. Perfect. So I know... I know how I have to manage you because if, I, if my expectation is you're going to be ready by 9 a.m., I'm lying to myself. Right. Well, and that's a creative, like that's really what creative people are like. They're wired differently. So you don't want to take them outside of their creative space. You want to compliment them because I'm not creative in the, in the way that like I have to draw. Mm -hmm. I'm creative in like the sense of like, I can create a platform for you to showcase your skills. Right. Which is, which is a different type of creativity. Yes. And fortunately my creativity can live in the real world. Yeah. Which is between nine and seven. Right, right. <laughs> right and man it's such an important part of where what i think artists actually need man like i think we all need somebody like you to be honest uh <laughs> at our, for ourselves mm -hmm. um do you find that in your experience it's been challenging getting creatives to necessarily recognize that they need mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I think there's, there's two sides of the challenging part. I think um, as much as art now is becoming a thing where it's mainstream and people want to support it, people who want to like to get what you're actually worth, people, brands still don't understand cutting a check for creativity. Uh, yes. Right? Like they don't understand it fully. They understand a commission. Well, Dwayne, listen, you know, I need you to create a piece of art on the wall, okay, cool, I can pay you XXX for that. Now try to explain to somebody that, you know what, it's more than just the piece that goes on the wall, it's the hours that he has to put in thinking about why, how this is gonna go on the wall, what color that is, that no one wants to understand that. So are you saying that people don't want to pay enough because no. they don't understand? Is that I think they'll pay, but they don't pay like, um, and I'll use this, it's going to sound like a crazy analogy. You'll say, the reason why Dwayne Wade 
gets paid billions of millions of dollars is because of all the extra hours that he has to put in in the gym. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. Then he performs on the floor. You just see the end product, right? But as sports, that's not a debate. People understand that. Yeah. Dwayne could be like, you know, 500 pounds, eats McDonald's every day. That has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. But the amount of effort for your brain to think of what's going to go on the wall, people won't correlate that to the end product. Yeah. They'll just say, well, he, he can give him a thousand bucks. He should be able to paint with that. It's like, no, no. The paint is not the actual, that's the end product. Like before he gets to painting, this is why it's so much money. Yes. Because he has to put in a lot of effort to actually come up with the concept. Yeah. The same way Dwayne Wade has to eat clean, do this, go to the gym. Da -da. Then you see him play a game and you're like, oh my God. But people will understand that a lot clearer because athletics is something that's a household product. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Think, right? Creativity is, ask an average mother or father, they'll be like, I'm not paying um, $1,000 for my daughter to take photography camp. Mm -hmm. But they'll pay a thousand bucks for a basketball camp. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. So like right there, you're already saying that like being artistic or being creative is below what people look at as mainstream, mm -hmm. which is not right. Right. So in a lot of ways, we have to kind of get to the root of society to change that mentality. Absolutely. It's abs I mean, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. I don't want to go too, too deep, but it's like, the education system teaches you that way. Like, if you have a daughter or a son, they told you you want to take a photography uh, class, your guidance counselor probably wouldn't be able to guide you towards what kind of career you could do with just photography. Mm -hmm. And if they are, then that means they're thinking outside of the box. Yeah. But why is that? Yeah. Why is, I want to be a photographer thinking outside of the box? That actually should be a normal gig in 2019. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But we're quick to tell someone, like, you know, you should go to um, and we've seen this many times, go to the all purpose sports camp. And the kid sits on the on the side, bored out of his mind on his iPad and is taking pictures. And your parents paying a thousand dollars to babysit. But in reality, if you flip that thousand dollars into a photography camp, that kid would be so motivated. But. The system, the system isn't set up to like push them towards creativity. That's my opinion, at least. We're, we're set up to push them to just like, yeah, we'll be, we're used to pushing them to, I guess. In a yeah. So I think that's the challenging part. Then the other side of the challenging part is like, you have the artist or the creative who, you know, someone used this analogy on before is like, you could play street ball or you could play in the pros. A lot of artists are hustling and they're making, you know, good money and they're doing this. And then someone's like, you got to show up to a meeting at 10 a.m. They're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm about the art. It's like, okay, I understand you're about the art. But like, once you become a professional, you're a professional. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm not saying you can't do what you do. But if you can't figure out how to be at a meeting for 10 a.m. once a month, but your aspirations and your ambitions are, I want to be a millionaire, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Right? Like, I really don't know what to tell you. I don't, know, I don't think that's an ask, but, like, that's a struggle because, like, they've been in a creative space for so long. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's two sides to it. Like, one's the system, then the other one's, like, 
you're creative. I think people do it in music too, like maturing to a level of like, I understand what it is to actually be a professional artist now. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I'm finding, it's, it's um, particularly for people who have even like been around the industry or been working in this for a little bit. So now you're, you're actually pretty good. You're respected. Right. You feel like you can make some money doing it, or maybe you have made some money, but what ended up happening is you get better is you get faster and you used to maybe charge per hour for a certain amount of thing or, um, a lot of what we do, I guess, seems to be based on exchanging, uh, our time for money. And I'm starting to have this shift where, no, it's not necessarily my time. It's like you said, it's that, that time that I put in years ago or over the years. Right. So it don't matter if I take 10 hours to come up with something or it takes me one hour today. It's because I put those years in before right. and I'm still going to charge you more today than I would have charged you 10 years ago, even if, though it took me less time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that is a challenging thing to to get around and and own in some ways too. Have you found that like creatives, or is that something that even comes up? I feel like what you're talking about is like as you mature as an artist, you become more efficient, and yeah. efficiency always to me always. Um, Put you will put you in a position to have a richer financial conversation because it's like the artist who takes 10 hours to do a piece that should take you an hour you're justifying like yo not only am i good i'm fast so like i'm not wasting your time and you're not wasting my time it's a premium service mm. because the reason why it's a premium service because i've been doing this for a decade yeah right so like and i don't have to explain why that's just is what it is. Now, if you want to go with the artist that's going to take 10 hours, then that's fine. But I'm probably not the person for you then. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fair, right? Yeah. Now, there's always room for negotiation. But at the end of the day, like, you put in, like, for you to create a logo and you bang it out fast and someone's like, you know, that's kind of expenses. And you're like, no, it's actually not expenses on par with my skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've definitely run into that situation not as recently, but maybe a few years back where I kind of hit that point where I was finally starting to feel like my processes are starting to get systematized, I guess you could say. Right. And I felt this guilt, like, should I be charging this much? Or like, they come back with a revision and I'd be like, I'd be able to do it a lot faster than I probably would have been able to in the past. Right. And uh, yeah, it's not about necessarily, and, and people will resist sometimes. They'll say, wait, how long did it take you to make that result? And you're charging what? And then I find myself having to justify or try to explain. And it's like, no, I don't have to take three hours on something that I could do in an hour. Like it's. I think it's funny hearing you say that. Like I have a lot of conversations with, with, with um, creatives and my advice to them. Someone told me this a long time ago. It's like never compromise your creative relationship with the client. So some once you get to a certain level like yourself who can you know you can talk knock it out. Mm-hmm. 
it's pro- it's probably better for you to put someone in between you and the client. Right. Right. And that could be whoever you want it to be. You could come in and secure the deal and then say, you know what, I'm looking so forward to working with you. Um, Dion is going to reach out and then you guys iron out the details. Mm-hmm. Because now they're further away from what your creative process is because there's, there's no need for them to know that. All they really need to know is that like there's business being done and this is the person who handles my business. Mm. Then, because if, if that was me and there's, let's say there's Joanne that's in the middle between, that's your, your manager and I'm the client, there's no way I'm going to ask Joanne how long does it take for you to do it. No. Right. Because no. Joanne's not the artist. So like Joanne would be like, I just don't understand. Like you would, you and her unison is like, I just don't understand why, what you're asking me. Because mm-hmm. the price is the price, right? Yeah. Now you don't have any questions for the artist because the artist is not your concern. The commission is your concern. I friggin' love that, man. Right? That. And then it, it kind of positions you as having a higher level of credibility too because you're coming in as a system. You're coming in as a team. Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, a lot of artists, you know, because they're fucking, they're creative. Like, everyone loves the artist. Mm-hmm. So I meet Dwayne, yo, what's up? We got, you know, we had some drinks. Like, Dwayne, I want you to create a logo for me. Cool. Yeah. No problem. And then it's like, for sure, man, hit me. Love hanging out with you. I'm going to get Joanne to hit you so we could talk about the details. But yo, if you want to get a beer, man, let me know. Mm-hmm. Because now I don't talk business. I'm just a creative. Yeah. Right? Like... Now you could, I mean, like yourself, you know business between you and Joanne, so you know how to guide her mm-hmm. to have the conversation, but you no longer talk that way. And it's not about positioning yourself. You actually earned the right to do that. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not like you're not like you just started yesterday. Got you. You know what I mean? Like you put in a decade, like you should have someone that's gonna take care of that shit and give them a commission. Uh-huh. Here's 20% for handling that piece of the business. All good here. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I think you and I might have to talk after this. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Loving it. So let's let's talk about the um the origin of Marked. Like, so how did that start? And then how did that transition into you started telling me earlier some of the things that you're doing now? Like right. so, yeah, how did that that path go um for me like i worked with uh the baddest shoe museum on a pretty big project about five years ago which was an uh an exhibition showcasing the evolution of sneaker culture one of the things i was tasked with was developing the programming for it and uh what they wanted to do is not only make it about sneaker culture but how do you bring a whole bunch of diverse people into the museum and I was always thinking like, okay, if you have artists on one side then the sneaker culture on the other, it'd be interesting to see them just design on sneakers and see if we can merge both cultures together. Okay. Right? We did it as a program, the exhibition finished. And then when the exhibition was done, I was like, I just don't want to leave this programming. Why don't I extract it and try to make it into its own personal brand? Then not only did I want to do that, I'm always passionate about like, how do you build it to be generational? Then I started bringing it to universities as a like community engagement initiative for the school. 
similar to what I said to you before, I almost had a little bit of a cheat code because I grew up playing basketball, going to universities for a tournament. Mm-hmm. And I literally just took the same template and was like, this is really just an art tournament at a university. Yep. And I invite the high schools to come out. And then from there, it kind of just took off on its own where it was like, there's not many spaces that people have A, to showcase their artistic skills and B, meet a whole bunch of other people that are just like them. So it was just kind of interesting that it happened. And then I just started building it out and doing all these other creative things that kind of came to me organically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're, you're not doing the events like all the time now. What would you say your primary job is, if you could call it that? Yeah, I mean, it's twofold. One, you know, like I do a lot of consulting with brands and artists. Okay. Um, and I recently just joined a team uh, of a company called Yellow Brick. And what Yellow Brick does basically is an extension of what I do and why I'm so passionate about it is they teach people how to get into passion careers almost as a career discovery program. And the areas that they focus on, which is it's going to be continuing to develop, but sneakers, fashion, sports, um, there's a streetwear course on the way. There's a music course that just came into the, the market. And it was real interesting to me because a lot of what they're trying to do and what they're doing, A, I, w- I felt like I was the kid who would love to take that class, but it wasn't around when I was young. Mm. And then B, all the skills that I've been able to learn over the last decade was super transferable to the company. Mm-hmm. And this now being able, just part of my own personal mission is like helping people use what they love to turn it into a career. Uh, so that's what I've been really working on and trying to push their initiative forward and get more, more of the word out. And they have some really amazing courses that will teach people like how to get into those industries. So I'm real passionate about it these days. And you probably see me traveling all around trying to make that stuff happen. But that's, that's what the hustle is these days. Got you. Got mm-hmm. you. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh. I think me and you spoke about it offline. I think it's it's such an interesting uh, transition for me for a couple of different reasons. A, uh, it's in the U.S., so the U.S. market is a completely different market than Canada. Um, I feel like Canada is a great test market for anyone who's trying to do something, but we just don't understand that the U.S. has a so many other people, and. The flip side is Canada or Toronto. Canada in general is so diverse in a different way than the U.S. is diverse. Um, and being a man of color, pushing some of these initiatives forward and being in certain spaces has presented a challenge. And for me internally, just because it's a new space that I, I, prob- I wasn't in before. Mm. It's in a very creative space, but now you're going to like the tables where decisions are being made and you're learning um, the ins and outs of like high level business, which is different than being, you know, grassroots. So when you say the diversity, diversity part, like are you saying that there's less people of color at the table in the States or? Oh, there's, I mean, there's less people of color everywhere. (laughs) 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 I just think that there's more people of color, but because there's so much people 
in the U.S. is still less than there should be. Right. Right? But because the U.S. showcases um, culture at such a high level, you would not think that's the way it is. Yes. Right? Yeah. Visually, you're seeing, like, artists representing, you know, all kinds of different groups, but behind the, the decision makers aren't necessarily those people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not. And, like, you know, we're seeing a big shift right now in culture where there's more people of color um, who are at the table, if you want to call it that. But, like, even just think about something like this. Like, I, I mean, it's public. Like, what happened with Beyonce? It's like mm. Beyonce went to Reebok and they had no one of color on her actual team that was going to be building her products and she walked out. Right. Now, if you know anything about Beyonce, how could you make that mistake in 2019? <laughs> right? But that's just to show you that, like, we still have so far to go. Not as, like, black, white, pink, purple. It's just that, like, people don't understand diversity. Right. Like, if you can make that mistake at a Fortune 500 company with a megastar like Beyonce, like, we got a long way to go. Yeah. Like, how do you, like, that's, to me, I just don't even understand unless, like, someone messed up the cue card and was like, yo, this is supposed to be, I don't know, Michelle John that no one knows. But, like, how do you see Beyonce on the list and be like, yo, there's no diversity on the team that's actually creating her products? I don't understand that. Right. This isn't someone who's desperate to work with you. No, like, who, 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 her name stands for diversity, yeah, inequality yeah. and inclusion. So it's like, how do you make that mistake? Right. You know? Um, and that's a perfect example where it's like, and I'm not, you know, like, it's just interesting. Like from women, color, however you want to look at it. I'm not just saying being a man of color, how it feels. It's just, that's a perfect example showing we got so much further to go. Yeah, I, I've actually kind of made that my mission as of late, anyway, I'm I'm trying to work less on complaining about the situation, mm-hmm. more so just being literally that visible person, mm-hmm. that actual voice, that uh, and bringing people with me whenever I can. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Rather than complain about the situation, I'm just saying, "Fuck it, I'm changing it." Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, it's challenging, when you know. The flip side is, I always say this a lot more these days, is like, in whatever the mission is, add a piece to your plan that is learning. Yes. Because it's like, don't think you're going to get to the table and you're just going to change shit because you're at the table. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, on both sides, there needs to be a learning curve. Yeah. Because, like, you may say some shit, I may get it but no one else at the table gets it. You can't get mad because they don't get it because this is new to them. Yeah. The same way certain principles are new to me. Mm-hmm. So like, they're not being like, oh, Dion doesn't know shit. They give you space to learn. Same way we got to sometimes give them space to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that avoids a lot of like um, hostile and frustrating situations when you build in the learning piece. You know, like one of my mentors said to me, you know, I, I've been through a couple of different situations in, in board meetings and in the boardroom. And I used to get really, really frustrated and I used to shut down and not say anything because if I said something, I'd be the angry black guy. 
<laughs> Keep right. it real goes wrong. Yeah. So I, I would just be like, yo, you know, it's better for me not to say anything. And then she said to me, like, when you feel that anger, instead of being angry, educate and, and, and be curious. Like, I'm curious why you think that. Mm. So they explain, and then you have an opportunity to educate, because some people actually just don't know. Yes. Right? But we think they do, but they actually just don't know. Yes. Right? And then what, as I start to take that approach more, some of the people who I'd get upset at actually have become some of my really, really good friends. Mm -hmm. Because now we have a space where we can have a conversation that's not, um, that's not being driven by either side to be like, you know what, I'm right and you're wrong. It's more just like, you know what, Dion, actually, I don't understand that. I would love to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Right? So next time something like that happens, at least I have the awareness and some sort of education as why that would get you upset. Absolutely. You know? Um, and I think a lot of times like we don't build that in because we've been through so much <laughs> and was such a fight to get there. So you're like, man, I don't got no time to educate nobody, man. They got to understand my shit or fuck off. Right. Which is wrong. Yeah. Which yeah. is wrong, right? I get it. I, I'm, I get tired too. But like if the goal is, is much richer and it's longer, then it can't be fuck off all the time. Yeah, sometimes we got to make the decision of do we want to be right or do we want to be successful? Right. And I found for me, I, I've taken a bunch of L's over the years because I think realistically, my, as a freelancer, I should have been further along. And I'm starting to realize that, yeah, maybe clients were wrong in some situations, but I didn't handle them in the right way in terms of, like you said, client would be wrong. And I would instead take, instead of educating, sometimes I would be snippy, condescending. Uh, I would shut down completely. Mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't help anybody because they, le they legitimately just don't, didn't know better. They just mm -hmm. assumed that the creative process worked a certain way and they just were like, well, you know, and me just kind of thinking, well, they're just trying to take advantage of me, would react in a negative way instead of just taking that time to say, look, you may think of business in this way, but when you're dealing with the designer, this is what the expectation is and setting that out for them and explaining it to them. Absolutely. I, I did that recently and I, you know, you, I was nervous, like, how are they going to respond? And the response was, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's like, I'll give you a story, and this happened like maybe about a month ago, um, in a different sense, because like, that's why I said there's creatives and there's people who are in a creative space with you. I'm in a meeting, I'm heading to a meeting with a client, and uh, the client says to me before we walk into the meeting, so I wear, like, I usually wear a hat, and she, and she said, um, is the hat negotiable? <laughs> And I was like, um, actually, it's not, right? And she's yeah. like, you think, like, it's not really professional for you to wear a hat in a, in a, board, in a, in a boardroom, right? Mm. And my reply was like, I understand that, but I earned it. <laughs> right? Um, so, and inside, I was really upset. Right. Because I was just like, the, for the 10 or for the, how many years that like 
I took the L's as you just called it. Um, the actual person that they want to see is the person that wears the hat. That's why I'm actually here. Mm -hmm. So why would I need to take off the hat? Yeah. Right? Because like, if I wasn't wearing the hat, that shouldn't change who you're dealing with. Yeah. The person you actually would like to see do something in your space is the person wearing the hat. Yeah. So like, and then another good homie of mine, we were, you know, just debriefing and talking about it. And he was like, and I share this piece of advice to creatives out there. Show up to the meeting like the person they want you to be or the person that they're looking to hire. So like, if you were to show up in a three-piece suit as the artist, no one gives a fuck. Right. But like, if you were to show up with like your apron with paint on it because you're going to do the fucking wall, that's exactly. the person they want to see. Exactly. So why would you put on a suit? Right. Right. This doesn't make sense, right? Right. It doesn't matter that it's a Fortune 500. You're, you're coming there. You're coming there because you're creative. Right, yeah. Now, I'm not saying show up with paint on your face, but at the end of the day, my expectations for the artist who's going to create some dope shit on, on my wall that's public-facing, I actually don't want you to be in a suit. Because mm. then I'm, I'm almost going to be like, yo, are you sure he's good? Because, mm -hmm. like... He's wearing a suit. Right. Now your manager, they need to be presentable. <laughs> right? Because right? like the manager's there to do business. They're that bridge between. Yeah, they're the bridge. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, think about like a Kanye. Like Kanye could go crazy. It's like, well, that's who you're actually buying. Mm -hmm. Who's constructing the deal is not Kanye. Yeah. So like you need to judge the, the deal conductor, not the talent. Yeah. So I, I always like to, to share that because it's like, if you're creative and you're working hard, you're doing your thing, don't be apologetic about how hard you've worked to get where you are and almost own it. Like in the sense that like you earned how you're going to present yourself and don't make anyone make you feel bad about it. Is, is that similar to what, like the Russell Simmons mentality? Of it is the Russell Simmons mentality. Yeah. All like, yeah, I'm the hip hop guy. So why am I going to not be the hip-hop guy. <laughs> exactly, right? Now, there's, there's, there's a time and place, don't get it twisted. Mm -hmm. You know, someone invites you to a gala. Yeah. You know, and it's a black tie affair. I'm not saying you're going to show up in a white tee with paint on it either. <laughs> right? So, I mean, there's a time and place. Yeah. But I get it, man. And like, that's your actual business. Your actual business mm -hmm. is to be, say, a, a wall painter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not actually inappropriate to show up to a business meeting related to that mm -hmm. in what you would necessarily, you know, represent as a wall painter. Right. What and would represent you as that? Exactly. And I mean, it's, I, I share that because it's like, we're living in times that like, it's important for people to understand, like, it's okay to, to, to like, to show up like that. What's more important to me is not what you're wearing. It's about what you're going to do at the meeting. Mm -hmm. I don't really care what you're wearing. But like if I, me and you go in a meeting and you have your portfolio ready to show people, I could guarantee you they couldn't even tell you what you wore that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't they, matter. <laughs> they, they would care less. They'd be like, his portfolio was tight. He's, he articulated what he's going to do. Boom, 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 boom. And then they're probably like, and this is no knock to anybody who works nine to five, the majority of time, people are like, man, damn, I wish I could do that shit. Mm -hmm. 
Cause like I'm in a suit and I'd rather be in sweats. Mm-hmm. Right. Part of yellow brick, why I love yellow brick so much is like a lot of the times people who take the courses are career changers. So you'll meet a, a mother or a woman or a man who've been working at a bank for like 10 years. And then they say to you, you know what, man, I, like, I love my family, I love my job, but it's not my passion. Yeah. Right? Like, I used to always love sports. And then somewhere along the line, I just never stopped. I just stopped doing sports. Or, you know, like, I used to sew in my off time because I wanted to be a fashion designer. And then, like, I worked on, I worked on Wall Street, and I haven't touched a sewing machine in years. And you could actually see the passion when they say that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, so they jump in the course and they learn how to like navigate, you know, on my off time, maybe I learn to sew a garment and, and I feel good about myself. And then Monday I go to work and I bang it out. Come Friday night, I'm behind the machine again. Yeah. Now I, have, I feel I feel lively. Or there's the young person who, who I want to go to university, but I'm not really sure because like being a doctor is not what I want to do. But I love sneakers, but like, I don't really know what type of job I could get outside of like being a designer. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I like colors. Okay. There's a job called a colorist. Mm-hmm. And like after designer makes the shoe, I pass it off to who the colorist to pick the colors are going to go on the shoe. Yeah. Right. That's an actual career job. Wow. But how do you know that? Because the school ain't teaching you that shit. Yeah. Right. The school, gonna be, you need to become an accountant, you know, a doctor, blah, 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 blah all these professions that like are very traditional mm-hmm. and nothing, nothing wrong with the traditional profession. I'm just saying, I feel like with, you know, the social medias of the world, we breed creativity now. Yeah. That, that's one thing I definitely love about social media is that we're learning like about these type of careers that we mm-hmm. never knew existed for ever. Right. right. Uh, like, like what you're doing, even, you know, it's just like, there are so many things you can do in a creative, in the creative industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside of just being a painter. Um, I mean, even like, put it to you like this, and this is someone, you know, uh, one of the guys on, on the Yellow Brick team said something pretty clever the other day, we were, we were, we were all together. And it's like, what if you, what if you love finance? You just hate working, doing finance for a bank, right? But you would love to do finance for Adidas. Yeah. Now you're around something you actually like. So you're not actually like, forget traditional careers. You just want to understand how you could do what you love inside of something that you also love. Man, that's brilliant. Right? Yeah. Cause like that's a part of a team. Like if I was a finance person, and, and I'm I'm slowly learning this myself. It's like I'm good with numbers, but I love art. Mm-hmm. Imagine that person on your team that handles your finance. Yeah, like he gets what you're he or she gets what you're doing. Yeah, so they're passionate about what they do, but they love to be around creativity at the same time. Yeah, I, you know what? I've actually heard someone on the podcast talk about that the other day too. It's like. It's not necessarily helpful for you to hire these, you know, other team members unless they are actually passionate about 
you, you like what you're doing just as much as you are. I mean, they just aren't interested. They just don't have the ability to do it, but they're right. so passionate about it, right? Right, and they're good at what they do. And I wouldn't even say passionate about it because some people don't like. You can meet somebody who could care less about art, uh-huh. but loves the free spirit of an artist. Yes, and will say, you know what? I understand it. I don't love it, but I love the ride. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'd rather do finances for you than just do finances for, like, a government organization. Because to me, I feel alive when I do it for you. Right. I don't really understand art, but I understand when we move as a unit, I, I understand that feeling. Like where that feels versus... I like the way that feels versus, like, I show up at 9, I get a 15-minute break at 45-minute lunch and another 15 in the afternoon. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? Like, that's not really... Some people can't... That's not, it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. And they're amazing at finance. Yeah. But the space in which they have to do what they love in is not what they like. And I think that's so interesting because it's like my bigger vision is always like, how do you create a group of people who don't all necessarily love sneaker culture, mm-hmm. but they all love the space of being able to be free and yeah. like, we're all creatives. I'm the best finance person. I'm creative on how I look at an Excel sheet and boom, boom, boom. You got, I'm winning that game. Mm-hmm. If it's the person, my finance guy versus Nike, Deanna, put me against that guy. I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's their creativity. They could care less about sneakers. All they care about is like, oh, as a team, we're trying to win a, get a W here. Yeah. And Dion does sneakers and he creates the environment for all of us to be free. I don't have to say, okay, well, you know, Dion, I'm going to take 15 minutes. I'll be back. It's like, no, no, I manage myself. Mm-hmm. As long as we get the work done, we get the work done. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the way I see a lot of the industry shifting the marketplace. Cause it's like the young people before, after us now, like coming up, they, they won't understand being corporate citizens for much long. No, for very long. You know, like they're super talented, like, yo, they all grew up together. They all figure out how to provide solutions to one another. And it's, it's amazing to watch how young and how creative they are and just getting what they want and living life with freedom, which is something we never really promote um, as a society. We promote like security, mm-hmm. right? But it's like you can still be secure and free at the same time. Freedom's the real wealth, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, I couldn't imagine taking a 15-minute break and coming back on the 16-minute and getting in trouble. <laughs> right? Like, that, that would drive me crazy. I wouldn't under, I, at this stage of my career, yeah. I probably would not understand what that actually is. I feel that. Mm-hmm. So, to conclude, how can people... You know what? Actually, I'm going to take it back. So... Are you looking for creatives to collaborate with? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for creatives to collaborate with, um, specifically through Marked. Um, in terms of like one-on-one, you know, the work that I'm doing right now is taking up a lot of mental real estate in my mind. Yeah. Um, so it has to be the right situation um, for me to really take it on personally. Yeah. As far as marked, um, we're always looking for creatives to get on board and figure out ways we can work together as a team. 
um, on the yellow brick side, like it's almost the exact same thing where it's like, it's twofold because there's a system or there's a platform where I can point you towards learning things in a much richer way. Mm. And then when you finish what you learned, um, there's, there could be opportunities there. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Cool. So how do people get in touch with you? The easiest way, like, I'm terrible at emails sometimes. So, like, <laughs> Instagram's probably the easiest way, um, at Dion Walcott, which is the simplest way. Just hit me. I'm not someone who has 5 billion followers, so I'll actually see your message. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's how we stay connected from time to time. So, like, Instagram's probably the easiest way. All right. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for this. Uh, no, thank you. It was really good. It's good. Uh, I always like chopping it up with people who I knew for a long time, but we kind of went separate ways and then now we're able to connect and, you know, build in a cool way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope, I mean, no, I, I don't even hope. I'm sure that the people that listen to this are going to get some, some nuggets <laughs> out of this, man. This was a good conversation and a, an important topic. And I just want to keep keep growing in this direction, changing mindsets, man. And uh, yeah, let's build, let's build this creative industry. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, if there's anything I could do to help, I mean, you and any, all the stuff that you're doing, just let me know, man. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Lange Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at artpaysme.com or at artpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.